everyone, and welcome to this conversation presented by White House Custom Color. I'm Jed Toffer. Thanks for listening. You know, my wife Vicki and I have owned and operated our photography studio, V Gallery, for 20 years now. White House has been our lab for the last 16 of those years, and we could not be happier. White House is a family-run business, just like ours. If you haven't already, check them out at whcc.com. And if you want to drop me a line, feel free to email me at jed at whcc.com. Mark Silver, thank you for joining me today. Jed, my pleasure. I'm excited to talk to you about a few things in particular, but let's start off by you uh, telling me and the audience kind of who you are. Give me a little background on Mark Silver. Mark Silver has been a photographer since age 12. That's, I marked that as my, I mean, obviously I was shooting like most people, little snapshots and that sort of thing. But at age 12 is when I went into a darkroom for the first time and I learned the magic of developing film, mm. which was cool, but it was making the prints that really like, whoa, all of a sudden I had yeah. control. Yeah. And up to that point, you know, I take my rolls of film to the drugstore and they come back and they were little tiny things and they were very muddy and very discouraging. You didn't feel like you got your vision out there at all. But when I learned the darkroom skills, that's when it all lit up as a photographer. So since that time, I, I've been photographing. That was a number of decades ago. I'm not even going to say how many, but a lot, <laughs> a lot of decades. And then, um, you know, I ended up uh, teaching photography. I, I got my start as a teacher early on. I was actually teaching mountaineering. Uh, so I've spent most of my adult life teaching people things and obviously yeah. photography is near and dear to me. So I created a, a series of interviews that I've done called advancing your photography on my YouTube channel, where I've interviewed lots of really great photographers over the years. You have. And then in 2016, I turned the, I decided, well, I need to write a book. And so I wrote this book, advancing your photography based on my own experience, but also the people I'd interviewed and put it mm -hmm. together as a kind of a complete manual photography. And that's basically what I do is I, I help people get better with their photographs. Now I'm curious about something. Cause you mentioned like for yourself personally, the magic occurred. Yeah. Initially when you were 12, right. Yeah. And you even went from the proofs that you could touch and feel and hold to a, a much larger like eight by 10, even, or whatever that you were yeah. actually developing. Right. Yeah. And, and that was a big, even for yourself, that was a big jump. Now that, that all, but doesn't exist these days relatively. I know there yeah. are people that are shooting film. I know there are people that are developing their own film, but yeah. what I'm talking about is in a relative sense that rarely, if ever occurs yeah. for the vast majority of the population. And so, I, what I hear is that that magic is, is, is not present for most people. Is that fair to say? Well, it, yeah, in that darkroom magic. However, yeah. I, I will say, you know, uh, the magic still exists. It, ex it exists because you process your images. But even more important, and I think this is relevant to our discussion, my mantra is make prints. Because, you know, it, digital 
is great, but it's always going to be you looking at pixels on a screen, which is not the same as looking at a print on the wall. It's not the same. There, the mat. So let me ask you this then, with that, real quickly: is the the magic is still there? It's different. It's different because right? you're not seeing it show up, right? In your in a tray. In yeah. Right. You're you're seeing it show up on the screen. There's a lot more immediacy. Of course, you see a, a thousand images at basically at the same time. Yeah. So there is magic in that, but there is something about the print in your mind. Yes. Yes, there is. I mean, you know, here's the thing. You're for those who have never worked in a darkroom, what's happening is you take this piece of white paper, you expose it, nothing has happened, you can't see anything yet, then you put it in your developing tray and you shake the tray back and forth and it does exactly what it says, it develops. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's that's the magical thing. It's like, whoa, that image comes up and you get to see for the first time what your print looks like for the first time <laughs> first time ever yeah. you know i mean you might yeah. have seen it through the negative and you might have made right. a little contact print or something right but you know let's say you're doing an 8 by 10 or even a bigger you know 11 by 14 or 16 by 20 that can get really fun mm -hmm. um and there's this process now it's not always perfect the first time either but it's still right. pretty cool you're still like thrilled it's the it's the chemical process that brings that about which is different than digital and we also get spoiled because we can look at all you know we well, can look at the back of our camera and see what's going on instantly so that's kind of what i was wondering about because I, I i hear a lot of people because we started in the film days too right my yeah. wife's the photographer she started in the film days she had a dark room in her basement her dad built it for her. this is in high school Okay, when we started yeah. dating, right? So I, it's been a while. Let me put it that way. Okay. My point is this, like I hear a lot of people from our day, you know, back yeah. pre-digital, right? That, that will, that will almost act as though there is a superiority piece there. And, 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 and in some way it's, you, you could call it superior, but it's, it's really different because that all the, everything that you're describing, there is a magic there that has been lost to yeah. some degree. What I'm wondering though, is for, for yourself from a teaching standpoint, even how has your maybe perspective or even style or even outlook in teaching changed or evolved as all of that has evolved because well, it's that, just plain different now than it used to be. Right. It is. Boy, that's a really good question. I hadn't even thought about it. Yeah. Because in a te <laughs> no, in a teaching environment, for instance, you would like we're shooting with film, we're going out and mm -hmm. shooting, maybe this afternoon, we'll go into the darkroom and develop it. But there's a big right. gap between those. There's a gap, right? It's not like, hey, let me turn the camera around, you can see what I right. shot right now, or I can just pull this right. card out and stick it in. I, you know, here's the thing that one of the things I teach people, and, and I put this in my book, is I teach skills that really transcend whether it's film or digital. I mean, that's what I tend to concentrate on, like compositional tools, right. like visualizing your photograph before you press the shutter, things like that. Obviously, when it goes into the camera itself, now we're into it. We're into a different realm here. Right. Right. But one thing that whether it's film or digital, you have to know how your camera sees because your camera mm -hmm. will see differently than your eyes. 
I like for that. Sure, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's super important. I mean, for one thing, we're looking through a little window, you know, we're looking at a either a rectangle or a square and right. with our eyes, huge field of vision. Yes. So you have, you have to know that. And also your camera, every camera is going to see things a little differently. Right. In the film days, it was even more so because every roll of film was slightly different. Every batch of chemicals, your developer, yeah. slightly different. You never quite yeah. got exactly this. So there's always that element of difference, which I think is also part of the magic as well. Yeah. It's kind of the the mystery piece, right? The mystery of it. Yeah. What? So you, all right. So you've talked to a lot of people. A lot yeah. of photographers over the years. That and that, that part's really cool to go to your YouTube channel and even like see all all these people and then uh, uh even scroll through your Instagram feed and then they have you know you have an endorsement from Chase Jarvis, kind of the yeah the, one of the modern big boys of education um, yeah. in the last decade or so with Creative Live. What what are what are some of the key things you discovered? Um, during the interviews, all the interviews, like what are the things that stand out and really pop to you? Well, Chase was one of the first guys I interviewed. The very, actually, it's interesting. The very first shoot that I did was Annie Leibovitz, believe it or not. We went to, yeah, we went to the San Francisco Art Institute together. And I was just starting out on this thing. And I saw that she was going to be in San Francisco walking through her exhibit. And I got, and okay to go there and film. Wow. Wow. And she and I hit it off. It's like, Mark, old home week, you know? So that yeah. was number one. The number two video was Michael Adams. That's Ansel Adams' son that we shot in Yosemite. And then we went to his dark room in Carmel. And when I was putting the show together, I didn't want it to look like, okay, you know, pigeonhole it. So I said, I need a really modern photographer. And so I asked Chase, who didn't know me from anybody, yeah. um, hey, Chase, can I, I want to interview you. And he said, yes, graciously. I went up to his studio in um, actually a little known fact. <laughs> I first shot an interview with him. This is how green I was as a video guy, because I was a still photographer. I didn't know anything about shooting video. And I left it to my cameraman and the cameraman we shot this in San Francisco in Golden Gate Park. Yeah. yeah. He put it on autofocus and it focused on the background. And here's Mark and oh. Chase out of focus. Oh, no. It was like devastating. I'm like, oh my God, I just blew it completely. The whole video was like that? The whole video. Useless. Oh. And so chase said okay he was such a gracious guy you know he said okay just come up to seattle we'll reshoot it and we did i went up to his studio and he said some things in that interview that i still hang on to one of them is this is really good advice he said when you go out and you're going to shoot something and he was giving an example of his advertising photographs you know uh don't hold don't go out and immediately press the camera to your face, look around without the camera, walk the scene, get to know what, what things are, where things are, where's the lighting, what are you seeing? Do not even get your camera out yet. Very smart advice. And, and mm-hmm. you know, because if you immediately go in and you do this, you're cutting your field of vision down and mm-hmm. you're forgetting that the most important aspect 
is your vision, not what the camera sees. So that's yeah, goes a back really... to what you were saying earlier, even right? Exactly. To start with this rather than start. Start with, this. with the. Too many people get fixated on cameras as their first point, and a camera is a tool that you have to use creatively, but it shouldn't guide you. You should guide the camera. You should tell the camera what to do. So you started so, with Annie and Michael and Chase. Those are my top that's where, two. One, that's two, three. That's where you three. started? Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> I you did set that the on, bar pretty high. <laughs> I know. What I did was I took, Jed, I took a piece of paper and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this show. Who are the top photographers? Because I want to start at the top and then attract other people. Right. And I wrote right. down a list. You know, I wrote down Annie Leibovitz, Ansel Adams, Chase Jarvis. Sure. And, and yeah. what are the chances of being able to do all three of them one after another? I, that's I really un, that, lucked out. That's unreal. I know. I lucked out. And that opened the what door. Else stands, to, what else stands out to you? Yeah, like it, it opens the door to all these other people. Then what What out of all of that stands out? You, there has to be so many. I'm just asking. Oh, yeah, there's so many. Couple. Well, a great one is, is Bob Holmes, who I've interviewed a number of times. Um, he's a National Geographic photographer. He's won Travel Photographer of the Year award like five times, crazy number of awards. He's been published in 50 books. And he, well, he has so many things that I could tell you. But that point about you have to know what the camera sees. He, his famous quote is, don't let the camera get in the way of your photography. Oh, yeah. Because too many people do that. You know, they do this. Yeah. We call it chimping. Yeah, constantly, and, yeah. And, you know, every time you do this, you're yeah. missing a shot. Yeah. And if you're doing it with somebody else over there, you're it's like rude. You know, you're yeah. you're going, hey, Jed, hang, hang on a sec. Yeah. I don't really like that. And they're sitting there going, what does he see that I yeah, didn't? Yeah, it's really breaking up the flow of, especially like during a portrait session or something like that. Oh, where man. Don't do that. Him. Yeah. <laughs> No, no. That reminds me of another, you're asking me some of the key things. So Matthew Jordan Smith, another amazing celebrity photographer. Yep, we talked awesome. about that and he said, don't do that. You're right. allowed to look at the camera once, you know, to just make sure your settings are good. But after that, that's it. You, you want the person, you get one. You want the person to forget about the camera. So if you right. keep doing this, right. you're reminding them. Constantly hey, reminding got, them of the camera. Right. Yeah. I've got this thing between you and me and I'm, I'm letting it interfere. So don't ever do that. The other thing that he said that I really love is you don't want people just looking good. You want them to feel good because mm. if they're feeling good, that's going to come across in the photo. It so really he does, does too. It does. It's that. It's that, sometimes that sounds cliche. I, 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 and I get it that sometimes it sounds cliche, but it could not be more true. Like we, we, we hear the, you really captured my son. You really kept, that's really him. You get, yeah. I, I'm convinced that it's that feeling piece. That's also being con conveyed in the image. Yeah, totally. Well, if you think about it, you know, what, where are you going to look better if you, are under a slight bit of tension and yeah. you're trying to look good, you know, you're trying, yep. You're trying to look good and have a good <laughs> smile. And, yeah. you know, I've done, uh, I've done some modeling too. You know, I don't know how yeah. I got involved in this, but, and it's really hard if you start having attention. 
you're not feeling right. it. It really comes across weird. You know, you're, <laughs> this is my smile, you know, it's really uh, fake. It's really fake. But if you're just relaxed and you like he, one of the things he does is you've got to have music on your set. Mm-hmm. Let people groove, you know, let, let mm-hmm. the music, he plays, plays Aretha Franklin. He says, everybody, everybody grooves with Aretha, you know, it's like, yeah, he loves Aretha. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> And he's such a wonderful, warm person. Well, that you know? also helps. Like the uh, another piece of advice could be like, be like Matthew Jordan Smith. Be cool. <laughs> you know what I mean, like be cool. Be like him. Oh man, that's my. <laughs> I would love to be like him all the time. He is very chill and very, very warm and gracious, and and that I guess is another thing, Jed. Here's some, yeah. you know Bambi Cantrell, another mm-hmm. another early person I interviewed. Wow. Um, you know, that's her whole thing is just the rapport with her subject. Yeah, making that connection. Totally. Relational piece. And she's you funny feel. as hell. You do not get she to is, hear she what she's funny. saying, but she's saying some risque things or whatever she's, <laughs> whatever comes out of her mouth, she doesn't care. She's just trying to yeah. get you to relax and forget about the camera. <laughs> Boom. It's pretty cool. Now, what about misconceptions though? I, that's, that's the, that's a, that's a piece that you really specialize in that I'm really intrigued by is like, what are the, what are misconceptions that you have? Well, what are misconceptions that you have discovered are misconceptions? Well, here's one that's really, I think an insidious misconception. Mm. Photography is easy. It's really easy. And that sounds like, why would that be a misconception? Because expectations, like if you were to pick up a musical instrument, a guitar, a piano, violin, whatever, would you expect somebody to first day to play the violin and have it sound anything in, like remotely like you wanted to listen to it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. But there's this misconception because these things are so readily available yeah, and so apparently easy to press the shutter and get an image. Mm-hmm that you're all of a sudden a photographer. Well, that can lead to kind of a misestimation of what it takes to become a really good photographer. Yeah. Like in the old days, old days of the darkroom and whatnot, the barrier to entry was pretty high. I mean, you really had I, yeah, to- Yeah, that's what I was gonna get into. That's what I was gonna get into. Yeah. Yeah, you could, you, you were like, the difference between being a snapshot photographer and somebody mm-hmm. who, created a decent photograph. That was a pretty high bar. Yeah. And you, yeah, you could go around and press the shutter and take your film to the local lab, but it looked terrible, right? And so hope that you might get something, maybe. You pro- probably didn't. And you probably didn't. <laughs> probably didn't. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. have any photographs that, yeah. from that era that looked good at all. But <laughs> to, you knew, wow, to learn the darkroom skills, man, learn yeah. chemistry and this and exposure. And you knew that it was a, you're entering something like learning how to play the guitar. Yeah. And so the reason why I think that that was, um, it's been brought up by a couple of different photographers I've interviewed. Dan Milner mentioned that. I think Bob mm-hmm. Holmes mentioned that too, mm-hmm. because it's misleading in terms of what, how much work you got to put into this thing to get good. Yeah. And it's better to have the correct estimation than to have some 
false idea of well, how easy it really is. I think that's true. And yet, see, here's the other piece. The other side of that coin for me is that the barrier has dropped so yeah. low now, um, both with the technology of the camera and the concept of digital in general, where you can, where you just can see everything right away. You're not really thinking about a limit because it used to be, Oh, that's a dollar. That's a dollar. That's a dollar. That's <laughs> really? a dollar. You know what I mean? And now it's just like, well, I can just throw it on burst. I mean, I, I know people that are shooting 4k uh, video and just scrubbing for a frame, Mark. Oh, that's, you that, know, pains and, and, me. And, that pains I me. Know, I know it. I know it. And, and I'm not, and I'm not lobbying for one way or the other, but yeah. I'm just saying, the technology exists now, whereas before it would have been hard for us to even think about that as being a thing. It couldn't, you know yeah, what I you mean? Couldn't do that. Yeah. That's, that's very intriguing. Give me, give me another big misconception. Uh, okay. Here's a good one. This may be met with controversy, but I have talked to a lot of pros and they're all pretty much all in agreement. It. We're all about controversial stuff, Mark. All right. Good. You've got to shoot in manual mode to be a real photographer. Oh, this, this has been bouncing around on the internet and it's such a crock of, you know what, because why every pro I know doesn't subscribe to that. You know why? Cause it slows yeah. you down. Why do you need yeah. to prove yourself? Because look, obviously with these cameras, we shot in manual, there wasn't any other choice. Well, right. now we've got a tool that it can, elevate that right. every pro I know either shoots and we, I talked about this. I've talked about this with Scott Kelby, you know, just mm. either shoots aperture priority most of the time or set shutter priority occasionally yeah. manual because you have to right? occasionally. Right. In some scenarios, to. right. There's some yep. scenario. I use yep. my exposure compensation. I look at my histogram. That's how yep. I'm making sure my, I'm not blowing out the yep. highlights. But why, why this sort of holy grail idea? There's, you know, I see these YouTube videos dedicated to teaching people how to shoot on manual. Why? <laughs> What's the well, big deal? Well, I don't think it's a bad idea to know and be aware yeah. of it, right? Because like you said, every so often you're, it behooves you to be able to make some of those adjustments. But I think it's a colossal mistake. And my hope is actually that this argument is starting to lose weight over time more and more. Yeah. Kind of like the whole, oh, there there used to be the there's the Mac PC argument, you know, oh Macs are so far superior, yeah. or you know the Canon, Fuji, Nikon, Sony. Are, come on, I mean, come on, you can shoot. I've shot with every one of those cameras, and they're all going to give you good photographs. They have different features, so okay. Pick the I, I, one just, you like I just like to think that over time, I hear your art. I hear what you're saying. And that is, yeah. it's, it's a gigantic misconception, it's but ridiculous. I think anyone that makes that general statement, I, you know, I hear people say these things and I'm just like, you're saying a lot more about yourself than you really are about your argument. Yeah. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Well, because again, remember that little mantra from Bob Holmes, don't let the camera get yeah. in the way of your photography. And yes, it's yes. like going into a cook, into a, sh a kitchen, you know, and there's all these different, you know, things that you can cook with. And the, the chef yeah. isn't really talking about what they're cooking. They're just obsessing over the pans. And, you know, I, I have the, this oven or whatever. And look, right. a great chef could cook over a, 
a Coleman stove. <laughs> right. Well, and that's know? the thing. You don't, I've seen this before. I've seen this and heard this argument before that you don't go to a nice restaurant and have a delicious meal and think to yourself, boy, that chef must have a fantastic stove or yeah. a fantastic, you know, it doesn't even enter your mind. It shouldn't. And it really shouldn't um, for a photographer either. And when it, and when it does, I, I would just say, maybe this is what you're saying is that you're, you're thinking about the wrong thinking about the wrong thing or you're, you're looking you're, at it from the wrong frame. Yeah. No pun intended. No, that's, and the other <laughs> part, I guess the, the big, big, big misconception here is to get, you know, gas gear obsession syndrome where you're just obsessing mm. over gear all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, again, the pros I know when I have discussions, the amount of time we actually talk about the gear part is pretty minor. I mean, we do, we do, we talk right. about, okay, but it's like this much. Yeah. And most of the discussion is about the art of photography. Yes. Or how to relate to people or like compositional tools or lighting, you know, things, things that are more tangible than, okay. Yeah. Your gear, you gotta, you gotta know your gear, but don't get obsessed with it. Well, they're, they're, they're tangible and that's absolutely true. And they're also timeless, you know, like to me, yeah. the relational piece and not letting your camera or I'll even broaden it, your gear getting in the way between you and your photography, that relational piece is going to hold true no matter what happens technologically over the next decade or uh, century, you know, like no matter what happens, that piece is always going to be so paramount. You know, to, right. any, to anything else, especially for like portrait, portrait photographers and then composition for landscape photographers and portrait photographers. But like to, to, to like include everybody in this, it, those concepts and those things are always going to be important no matter what happens with the gear over time, because it's always going to get better. That's right. And then kind of combining that with how complicated it needs to be, you know, like mm. you, you know, you need, mm. if you're going to shoot portraiture, you need lots of lights and the blah, blah, blah. Right. Hey, look, Vermeer, I love using Vermeer as my example of simple lighting. Oh, yeah. One, one window, yes. north facing window. Yes. That's yes. what he had in his studio. It's beautiful lighting. It always works. That's what I've got right here. This is one window coming in. Yes. I do have an LED over here, but yeah. you know, <laughs> less is more, you know, you don't, Peter Hurley, you know, Peter, right? I do. A great, wonderful guy, great portrait photographer. And he talked, I had him on my show and he talked about how he started. He had no money whatsoever, nothing. Yeah. So he used yeah. window light. He couldn't afford yeah. fancy lights. He used window light and he went to Lowe's and bought, you know, some sheets of white board to bounce. And that was his, that was his lighting kit. I'm you tremendously grateful, like eternally grateful to uh, a, a fantastic mentor of my wife's who has passed. Darton Drake taught my wife her first, one of her first classes ever. And he said, you can do this with one light, create a wall of light with a softbox, and yeah. you can do this. And that's what he taught her to do at her first workshop. And she came home and she's like, I just need one light. We just need to buy one light. And so we did. <laughs> bought a big five by seven softbox, And that's what she used for the first several years of her business. And it gave her a style and a look that everyone fell in love with. And I thought to myself, cause she'll say this, she's like, 
if I would have gone to him, I was at the point in my career with my mindset. If I would have went to Darton and he would have said, you need to drop 50 grand on this setup. She's like, I would have tried to do that. I know that's like, what happens when you have a mentor. No, it's true. But it was like, Oh, we spent like 500 bucks and had everything we need. I saw need. him later on in, in our, in our career, but before he passed and I said, Darton, I owe you lots and lots of money because you saved me so much. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> but there you are, you know, you have something simple that everybody can do in their own home, their apartment or whatever. I like that. I like the less one is window. more. Yeah. Find one yeah. window work with that. And then, you know, if you do need to add more lights, good. You've, you've already learned sure. how to do it with sure. a single light. And that is also, by the way, very good advice for just setting up your lighting. Just first start with one. Cause yeah. how do you know what you need until you start with that one? You go, well, yeah, I do need a backlight here. Okay, good. So fine. Then you add that. You know, well, and, it's, need... and it's less about, I think it's less about right or wrong. Just don't, don't get me wrong. There are right ways and wrong ways to do all this stuff, yeah. right? There really are. Um, but I think it's less about that and more about as you're, as you're progressing, and this is going to lead into where I want to go next, yeah. you're, like developing your style and developing your look over time. Because totally. you might be able to nail it with one light and you might think, yeah, but that's not really the look. I'm going for, I want to, I want to shoot more like this, or I feel more yeah. drawn to this. Right. And, and I think I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on wh what do you reckon? What's your recommendation? What's your, what are your recommendations or your advice for people that have been doing it for a while and that really want to take it to that next, that next level, that next step. I think it's basically creating projects is really, really important. So I have a class that I teach. I just got off of it. My book is called Advancing Your Photography, AYP for short. So I have a weekly class called AYP Plus. And so what, I'm, what we're doing now is I have everybody pick their own project. And then week by week, they come to the class and we critique them. Now, it's very different than a one-off photograph when you're working on a project mm. because it causes you to think in terms of storytelling for one thing, mm -hmm. a single photograph could tell a story and, and many do. Yeah. But we, when you start adding it in, you know, here's, here's like my story unfolding. Right. Also, I encourage them to don't just shoot under the perfect conditions, go out like one of the, one of my students is photographing barns in the Midwest. Okay. First one, beautiful photograph, gorgeous day with white puffy clouds, red barn, green grass. It's actually a really great photograph. I love it. But then that's not the only time you're going to be photographing. The next one is she brought today was like heavy fog, really yeah. not great conditions. Yeah. But this tells the story, you know? Yeah. And so when you get into storytelling rather than a one-off photograph, I really feel that elevates the person to the next level. That's probably one of the strongest things you can do. And well, it, I like it, that look. I like that not just taking photos in perfect conditions. Totally. I mean, if you're if you're an event photographer, you're you're going to run into lots of scenarios that yeah, are much less have. than perfect. Yeah, right? that's right. You, you don't know you don't know how things are going to turn out most of the time, even if you scout a location. 
There's right. all kinds of variables that'll pop up sometimes at the last minute. And, and you got to be ready to deal with that accordingly. Same thing with travel photography. I mean, you know, if you're exactly. sent to a location and you've, you've got a couple hours to come back with that photograph, maybe it's in the middle of the day. How do you yep. work with harsh sunlight? Yep. Yep. Well, there's ways to do that. Yeah. And, you know, you, you need to know that. So if we're, I mean, I love the golden hours as much as anybody else, but what right. about there's right. 24 hours in the day? What about all those other right. times? And what about the other 23? <laughs> 23 hours, you know? And, <laughs> you know, especially when you're storytelling, I learned this. I had a really unusual experience as a teenager. I spent my last semester of high school in Mexico working on a essentially a Peace Corps project. Oh, wow. And I took this camera that was given to me by my uncle. It's a Rolleiflex yeah. with dozens of rolls of film, black and white film. And I captured the people of this very small village, a very remote village, two days walk from a very small village, which was a <laughs> day's Jeep ride from Mazatlan, Mexico. So way, way, oh, yeah. way. Sierra Madre. Yeah, way up there, you know? And I shot any time of the day. I shot at night. I shot in harsh sunlight. I shot early in the morning because I was really interested in telling the story. And right. those are some of my best photographs ever because I was engaged. It was more about the story than about, you know, perfection of lighting, let's right. say. Right. Right. Well, because it was authentic. It right? was authentic. Yeah. If you see if you see something that's always perfect, my first thought is, well, that's not real. It's not real. <laughs> yeah. Look at Cartier Bresson. You know, he he went out and photographed, and his famous remark is, um, you know, because people sometimes, well, this image isn't sharp. You know, it's out of focus. Yeah. So that's sharpness is bourgeois. <laughs> it's like it's about the story. Not a bad sharpness is overrated. It's overrated. It's like if you're taking <laughs> well, and sometimes it, it can be. So I mean, uh, to to your point, like sometimes it's it's appropriate, yeah. right? Because that's real. Yeah, if you're taking an action shot and you're trying to like freeze the action, okay, yeah, you want a fast shutter speed and you want to stop. Yeah. But sometimes it's right. better to let it blur, right? You know, and get the sometimes get the motion. It, it tells the story better. It tells the story, and maybe you pan with it. You know, that's even cooler because. Yeah. Yeah. The background's all blurry and you, you know, but those are just tools that you can use to tell your story. And that's, I, I love it. That's the fun of it. Tell me this now. I know in your book, you talk about, you talk about getting inspired. Yeah. How, how do you wow. do that? <laughs> how, how do you, okay. Because it's, it's getting inspired or being inspired. And I feel like, so, so here's, and I'm just going to make this distinction for myself. Sure. There are times when I experience inspiration, but it had nothing to do with me trying to be inspired. I was yeah. just inspired by something. I think there's a difference between getting inspired and being inspired. I think being inspired can happen, whatever. By and any... maybe it's a matter of putting yourself in certain scenarios and being intentional, but getting inspired, that's what's different to me. Like putting it that way makes me think, all right, there's something or maybe a, a list of things that I can do yeah. to, to, to find inspiration. Is that, is that, am I putting that 
Absolutely. You know, one of the, yeah, one of the people that I interviewed was Joey L. Joey Lawrence, amazing photographer. I know Joey. He started as at 16, still photographer for the first Twilight film. How about that for your first gig? Yeah. Yeah. And I asked him, Hey, Joey, you know, what's your, what's your source of inspiration? He said, he looks at art, classical art and goes to museums and looks at it and really studies it in terms of how did that artist use the frame? Where was the light coming from? How did they get this incredible moodiness into their, you know, paintings, right? And so he mm -hmm. used that as his source of inspiration. I've heard this mm -hmm. from many photographers, study art. Because remember, Photography is kind of late, a latecomer, you know, is, let's say it was kind of hit the ground in 1837-ish, right? Sure. Um, decades, centuries before that, we have painting yes. with, the, with those tools of composition and lighting already known to painters. And right. photography just adopted those same tools. But there's a disconnect. Many, Unfortunately, many people don't connect the dots and go, wait a minute. If I want to become a better photographer, I should study the work of these masters. I can't tell you how many of these great photographers have told me that. And it serves so two purposes. To... Okay, keep going, keep going. Well, two purposes. One is it is inspirational. It does fuel your, right. wow, that's pretty cool. I could try that. Right. And it gives you tools to use as well. You need both. You can't, you know, just being tools, inspired right. without tools is sort of like... <laughs> Hey, I'm inspired well, that, to cook, you know, but I don't know necessarily how to do it. So where am I going to go with that? Well, and I and I think that the point that I that I'm really gathering from what you're saying is it's one thing to be inspired. Again, like I was saying, there's times where I'm inspired. I didn't expect it. I wasn't looking for it. But I like yeah. I like the fact there's almost like a hope here because I think there are times, especially on the last year or so, I've talked to people where they find themselves in a rut or they're just down, but I hear you talking about getting inspired and it involves seeking it. You're actually yeah. looking for it. You're actively, you're actively attempting to find inspiration. That's right. That's I, right. I think that's a big, I think that's a big message. Yeah. Well, I was talking to a student yesterday. Okay. And she's, she was bringing this point up about not feeling inspired. And I just kept talking to her and I gave her some ideas. And then she finally came up with her own solution. She said, you know, I need to just go out and make myself, I, I need to go to the place I'm shooting and look around enough until not just like that first piece of advice I told you from Chase Jarvis, don't have a camera to your face, look until something resonates. And then she goes, yeah. that'll work. Yeah, find it. Go out find and find it. it. You know, I wrote a whole book about this subject called Create. <laughs> you, you, have, you have Create. <laughs> I wrote this book about creativity because yeah. it's such a big thing. And by survey, I found this was the biggest topic that people came up with was how, how can I be more creative? And I what I did in this book was I wrote my you know, I wrote my, all my chapters and then I did interviews with 12 different, really super creative people. One of them being mm -hmm. Chris Burkhardt, mm -hmm. incredible photographer who I've interviewed before. And you know what, 
one of the things I wanted to debunk in there is that somehow you're born this way and everybody, you know, they're creative and it's a perfect match and everything. No, he said it was a 10 year overnight process for him. (laughs) Bam, (laughs) 10 year overnight sensation. And the things he had to overcome. Yeah. These guys have personal things that they had to overcome. Right. And, you know, that's the other thing. What gets in the way of your inspiration? Well, you're having a really lousy day or you're going through, you know, your parents are getting a divorce or Nancy Cartwright, who's the voice of Bart Simpson Mm -hmm. and many, many other voices. I interviewed her, you know, and she told this story about moving from a small town in Iowa or Ohio to LA to become a voice actor. And she got this first thing and her brother died of an overdose. Ah, you know, like what a setback, what should she do? You know, like, should she immediately rush home and stop doing this? Or should she honor him by carrying forward with her creative path, which is what she ended up doing. So these are the kinds of conversations I had in here. And, I didn't want it to be all airy fairy, you know, Hey, just sprinkle some fairy dust and you're going to feel creative. It's not like that at all. There's some tools that you can use to get there. Well, would you say that one of the, one of the ways to be creative is to just start creating? Yes. Very definitely. Just just start. Very definitely. I want to, I want to be creative. I want to feel creative. Stop talking about it. Do it. I know (laughs) so many people, if I had a dollar for everybody I bumped into, I want to write a book someday. Someday I want to have an exhibit someday. You know what? Just do it. I don't care if it's like a book that you make yourself and you print it yourself and staple it together. Right. It's make a book. Good. Do yeah. it. Because from that little seedling, but which by the way, is what we all do before we print a book on fancy paper or whatever, you just print mm-hmm. it on your own home printer. Mm-hmm. And right. that's your, that's your first draft. That's you ver- should do that. Version one. <laughs> Version one, you know, <laughs> but yeah, stop talking about it and doing it is, is really good advice. <laughs> I, I, I love that. That's tough. That's love. a fantastic, that's a fantastic, uh, I think it's a fantastic way to end. Uh, stop talking about it and <laughs> do, do it. it. Um, yeah. Uh, tell, tell me now, tell me what's uh, where can people find you? Um, just give your website or, or the best ways that people can find you and your materials. Yeah. So the book, my book, advancing your photography, the best way to find that is to go to advancing your photography.com. How about Perfect. that? That's the URL. Perfect. And yep. it's actually on special. I've got a, a big discount, you can get it for a lot less than you buy it anywhere else. Yeah. And, good, and good. so that's a good place to get my book. You can also click on another button and get my other books digitally if you want those two. So that's the best and then place. You can go to at Mark Silver on uh, Instagram. Yeah, at Mark Silver, you see it right there. That's a good Mark with the place. C. It's Mark with a C and it's silver with a B. That's <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. You don't want to spell it M A R K. And then right. uh, silverstudios.com is my website. Yeah. You'll find everything there. And then on my YouTube channel, you can also just search for Mark Silber, M-A-R-C-S-I-L-B-E. In fact, if you forget everything else and you do remember how to spell my name, if you Google that, you'll come up with everything else. We'll, we'll follow. <laughs> That's handy. That's perfect. Hey, I really appreciate your time, Mark. This was great today. Thanks for joining me. I loved it. Thanks, Jen. 